Welcome to Beside the Burn for Monday the 19th of April. It's the beginning of another week and we're starting a whole new series today based upon what we looked at yesterday in our Sunday service and that is sermon is still available online and there's a link to it below and if you haven't listened to that sermon I'd advise you to um, maybe after uh, you've looked at this today Go and listen to that and that will set the scene for the rest of the week. So today really I want to just give you an introduction to uh, our study uh, and our study is based on the book of James and we're going to be looking at it over the next few weeks and this week in particular today is going to be an introduction. Uh, tomorrow, Wednesday and Thursday we're going to look at three points uh, that we looked at on the Sunday service, but there's a lot more information that I wasn't able to share on Sunday, uh, and I'm going to give you some of that during the week. And then on Friday, we're going to take a slightly different angle, because one of the things you'll find out in the book of James is it is based a lot on the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus preached. And James here uh, alludes to that sermon looks at some of the themes of the sermon, uses similar phrases. And so on Friday, we're going to look at the first part of the passage that we're looking at this week, and we're going to see how it links into the Sermon on the Mount. So let's begin with uh, the, the basics, I suppose. Who wrote uh, this book? And uh, the book was written by James, as the name suggests, and there are two apostles named James, James and John, sons of Zebedee, and then also James the Lesser or, or the Younger. But it doesn't seem to be written by either of those two apostles. It is written, it's thought, by Jesus' half-brother, James. And James was the uh, pastor, the leader of the church in Jerusalem. And therefore, he is writing this letter to the Jewish Christians who are scattered. And the whole theme of the book is built around this idea of trials and how we cope with trials and how we deal with trials and persecution and suffering in the Christian life. And James is writing to the Christians that have been scattered because of their faith. They have been persecuted and therefore they're no longer in Jerusalem, but they're spread right across the land. And James wants to write to them and help them cope with all that they're facing and all that they're going through. And that is what this letter is about. Now, the plan is that each day I'm going to look at a, another little section of the book of James. I'm also going to have a few links to songs uh, that deal with some of the themes within the book. Now, these songs will probably not be familiar to you. There might be the odd one or two that would be familiar, but I came across a, a wonderful list of songs, a, a hundred songs that are based on the book of James. And I'm not going to list all of them, uh, but again, below today, you'll find a link to that playlist, uh, which is on Spotify or Apple Music. And you can sign up for Spotify for free and you can listen to uh, the full playlist. As I said, there's a hundred songs, but I list each week 
the songs that are relevant to the passage that we're looking at that particular week. And you can go off and listen to the songs. And I've been doing that. And it's incredible how the lyrics of the songs just implant the meaning of the Bible passage into your mind and help you to think about it in a slightly different way from a slightly different angle. You will not enjoy all of the songs. I'm sure some of them may not be your particular cup of tea, but they are songs that will make you think about God's word. Some of them are beautiful and you'll instantly love them and and you'll probably want to go and find out more about the uh, person who's singing and find out more from them. Others will maybe stretch you a little bit and they might not just be exactly what you're looking for, but if you listen to the lyrics, they will make you think about what you're listening to. And today there's a song uh, that's linked down below, uh, one of the first songs on the playlist, and it's Steadfast by Sandra McCracken. Now, if you've never heard anything by Sandra McCracken, then you are missing out. Uh, Go and uh, search maybe on YouTube and listen to um, anything that she has produced. They are beautiful songs. Uh, maybe slight little country feel to them, but steadfast is a wonderful introduction to the book of James because what we found out in Sunday was that whenever we face trials, those trials lead us to pers- uh, to perseverance. And in some of the translations, uh, perseverance is listed as steadfastness. And Sandra sings a song reminding us that although the outcome of trials is for our steadfastness, really the only one who is truly steadfast is Jesus Christ. And he's the one that we can rely upon and he's the one that we can trust upon. Now, uh, one other thing that you'll notice down below as well, there'll be a link to a video uh, from the Bible Project about James And that gives you a great introduction and a good overview of what we're going to encounter in the five chapters of this book. Now, I'm not going to follow the outline that the Bible Project give. They have a slightly different emphasis and look at it in a slightly different way. The plan that I'm following, I'll make clear to you as we go along. But still, the Bible Project is good, just to give you an overview and tell you some of the things uh, that are coming up in the book and some of the things to look out for. So that's important as well. And I suppose one unusual feature that we need to think about in the book of James is that it doesn't explicitly mention the gospel. It doesn't talk about the cross, doesn't talk about Jesus' death, doesn't talk about his blood shed for us, doesn't talk about the forgiveness of sins. It's a very practical book, telling us things that we need to do rather than things that were done for us. But that doesn't mean to say that the gospel isn't in this book. And I hope that each Sunday I make the gospel clear And I make reference to the gospel and I tell you where the gospel fits in because none of the book makes sense 
unless we understand the gospel. None of the commands to do things will make sense in our lives unless we've already accepted Jesus Christ as our saviour. And that is important because it's very easy to turn James just simply into a moralistic book. Here are the things that you can do to live a good life. Here are the things that you can do to get on with others and to to please God. But none of that will make any sense unless we've accepted Jesus Christ as our saviour, unless our sin has been dealt with. Otherwise, we're just trying to earn salvation and we recognise that that is not possible. So those are the things that we're going to look about. And maybe if you have any idea of James before we actually read it and study it together, maybe one of the main themes that comes up in the book of James quite often is the idea of the tension that's held between faith and good deeds. And throughout the book, that is something that we encounter But it's not the main theme, I think. I think the main theme is really trials and suffering and how we cope with them. After all, as I just said, James is writing to the scattered church. They're scattered because they are suffering and because they have had to flee for safety. And therefore, it's how we deal with trials and then how faith and deeds fit into that idea of trials. But there are lots of things that crop up in James that may be familiar to us and lots of little phrases. Things like, count it all joy when you encounter many kinds of trials. And that was the emphasis of what we looked at on Sunday. Um, Faith without works is dead. Um, Let not many of you become teachers because you know you will incur stricter judgment. You adulteresses, don't you know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? And come now, you rich, weep and wail for the miseries coming over you. And then also later on that the prayer of faith will heal a sick person. And all these and similarly challenging pronouncements punctuate this short epistle and can be found throughout it. And we'll be looking at some of those ideas and some of those phrases as we go along. But I want us to see that throughout the book, there are lots of trials. And we're asking, I suppose, this week, how do you cope with trials? And throughout the book, there are lots of trials. And remember, as we said on Sunday, these trials are a a testing as it were, a refining process. And in each situation that James brings to us, there is a test, there's a refining process, there's something that we need. So tomorrow we'll look at the trials. Then on Wednesday, we will be looking uh, together at wisdom. 
and we'll be seeing that the, the challenge and the testing of wisdom, where we will get our wisdom from. On Thursday, we'll be looking at wealth and possessions and, and the, the, the testing that's involved in that, that whenever we actually have possessions and wealth, there is a real testing that needs to come to get rid of all the impurities in our life so that we're not taken away from God and distracted from him. So each step of the way, the trials appear and the testing comes. But I want to just finish today by looking at a a couple of verses. Uh, First of all, from the first chapter of James, James 1.27. And I think here we have got maybe the central theme of the book and how we're to live our lives. Here James says, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Now, obviously we'll look at this again on Thursday in a lot more detail. But this is the central testing of our lives, as it were. How do we react to orphans and widows? How do we treat them? What's our view of them? Because that's a test to see whether our faith has really made an impact on our lives. Do we treat them well? Do we treat them with respect? Do we care for them? Or are they beneath us? Are they unimportant? Are there other things that we can spend our time on? That's the test that we're being given here. And it runs throughout the whole book. Are we only interested in people who are wealthy? Or are we interested in those who truly need God? More than anything else. This is the religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless. To look after orphans and widows. And there's another part to this. And to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. And here we have the faith and deeds. The faith is this bit from being polluted by the world. Have faith. Trust, don't accept the way of the world. And the deeds are the looking after the orphans and the widows. So let's keep that verse 27 central. And we'll be looking at that in more detail next week. Then also James 2.18 deals with the idea of faith and deeds. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds. And I will show you my faith by what I do. We will deal with this time and time again throughout the book. But James is not saying that if you simply do something, that will get you into heaven. That is not what he's talking about here. Because the gospel is not mentioned in those explicit terms, but it's required to understand everything. So you already need the gospel. You already need forgiveness of sins. You already need God's wrath having been dealt with Jesus' sacrifice. And when that is the case, that then pushes you into service. 
And so you'll show your faith by what you do. But you cannot have one as a substitute for the other. You need both together. Show me your faith without deeds. It's impossible. You can't have faith and not live it out. And yet there are many who would claim that today. They would claim faith in Jesus Christ and yet they don't live showing that faith to others. So again, James 2.18 is another central verse that we need to look at. So that's all I want to say today. There's a, a, a lot we've covered there in this introduction, uh, but hopefully it just sets a scene, lets you see where we're going to, and tomorrow we'll get straight back into James chapter 1 uh, and the first section about considering trials pure joy. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as we embark on this study in this book of James, we come humbly before you now, seeking you. We ask, Lord, that you would speak to us. We ask, Lord, that you would reveal yourself and your Son and your Holy Spirit to us as we read this book. Give us understanding. Give us insight. Apply this word to our hearts, Lord, so that you would continually test us and remove the impurities so that we might be steadfast and persevere and that we might be complete and lacking in nothing. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Welcome to Beside the Burn for Tuesday the 20th of April. You join us on our second day of studying the book of James and today we're going to move into chapter 1 uh, and we're going to look uh, specifically at verses 2 to 4 and this is the section which is all about trials and temptations and as we look at that perhaps there's a few echoes today from our wilderness experience uh, during the period of Lent. And you remember in the wilderness, uh, we're led there by God, but there's a sense of testing and there's a, a sense of trial that takes place in the wilderness that we meet with God and we worship him in those difficult times. And that is perhaps what we're finding here as we are in brought face to face with these trials and, and what God is trying to do in our lives here. So let's look together at the verses and we start off with verse 2. Consider it pure joy. And James here is saying to us, he's not telling us what to feel as it were. He's telling us here what to think Consider, he says, consider these things. Think about them because they're important. And you need to have the right perspective here on what we're going to talk about. We're going to be talking uh, about trials of many different kinds. We're going to be talking about testing. And we need to make sure that we understand 
what these things are about. Otherwise, we'll be ready to give up. Otherwise, whenever a trouble comes our way, then we'll just want to pack in the Christian life and we'll want to give up. And I am sure, like me, you have encountered people who have done that very thing. They have faced some difficulty or trial and they have turned their back on God and they are almost impossible to persuade to come back to him again. It may have been something that happened in childhood and they've turned away and they will not come back. They've been bitten as it were and they won't come back. But here, James is telling us, consider, think. You, you, can, you can understand what's going on here. This isn't about your feelings, whether you've been hurt or disappointed in the past. These are facts to look at. Consider them. And as we saw on Sunday, uh, consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. And this makes no sense to the world at large, but it makes sense to us. Because here James is saying, you know, you know this. This is not something that is coming to you out of the blue this is your experience and you recognize what's going on here you've seen in your own life that you are able to whenever you face trials that those trials lead to perseverance steadfastness endurance or 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 patience or whatever word you want to use here for perseverance Trials lead to this, and you know, you've seen it happen in the past. And pure joy seems to go with trials. That word consider can also be count it all pure joy. Look at your life, evaluate it, and realize that trials are important in life. On Sunday, we looked at the idea of the silversmith refining the silver and taking away the impurities. And that's a sort of trial and testing that's happening here. The impurities are coming out of our life. So it's not that we've been abandoned by God when difficult things happen. The very opposite is true. God is right there in the midst of those difficulties because we're being tested and the impurities are being taken away. That's why we can consider it joy because God is wanting to purify us. He sees things in our lives that shouldn't be there and he wants to get rid of them. And whenever we're facing difficulties and sufferings and trials, we should realize that there are things here that God wants to get rid of and we therefore should be happy that he is doing it. Now, I've just used that word happy and that's probably a misleading word. Joy is is not happiness. Happiness is based on our feelings, it's based upon our circumstances and what's going on. But joy is something that is deep. Joy isn't fickle. Joy doesn't change by how we feel. Joy is there based upon fact. Joy is a settled contentment in every situation. And here we're to know that joy. And were you to trust in God that he 
is, is bringing that joy about through the trials and through the testing. And something else to realise here, the, all these words are very, very important. But James is saying here, whenever, whenever you face trials, he's not saying if you face trials, he's saying this is going to happen. You're going to face trials. At some point, you're going to go through a difficult time. You're going to suffer. And whenever you do, realize that God is testing you. God is bringing out these impurities. God is with you through these times. We might wish it to be an if so that there was no certainty. But God's saying this is the way it works and this is what he does. Then look at verse 4. The trials have been leading to perseverance. Perseverance then must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So here we are. Here are the things that the trials are leading to. First of all, the perseverance, the steadfastness, the the endurance. But then that leads on to maturity and completeness. Sometimes that word complete is uh, translated as perfect. We're being made perfect, not lacking in anything. And maybe your translation says perfect. Perfect's a strange word because we recognize that we will not be perfect this side of eternity. So this completeness is much better uh, idea that God is giving us everything that we need. God is bringing into our lives the very things that we need so that we're able to follow him and serve him. Whenever we go through the trials, we have everything that we need for the trial. And this is, again, the problem that I see many, many times is that we see a Christian who's facing a trial. We see a Christian who's going through an intense period of suffering. And it almost causes us to waver in our faith because we look at them and we see the strength of their faith and we see how steadfast they are and how unwavering they are and we begin to crumble a little because we think, oh, if I was going through that, I don't know that I could be as steadfast as that. I don't know that I could persevere like that. I think I'd have crumbled and, and, and given in by now. But what we find is that God gives us whatever we need for the trial that we are facing at that particular time. And therefore, we don't have the steadfastness until we face the trial. We don't have the perseverance until we're in the midst of the suffering. And we're told here that we will lack nothing, we'll not lack anything. Because God's providing for us. He is with us. So God will give us what we need and he will help us. So trials don't mean that God has abandoned us. On the very opposite is true. The trials show us that God is right there with us. And 
there's a witness to how we handle trials. There's a witness to how we act whenever we're suffering. It's not that we just have a blind faith, as it were, and we clap our hands and we say, oh, praise the Lord in the midst of of all of this. But if we have that steadfastness that comes about through the trials, others will see it. It's not a, a false smile. And it's not an implausible trust. It's a steadfastness that we're not being shaken, even though everything around us is falling to pieces. We're not being buffeted from one place to the other. We're standing firm because God has given us all that we need. And as we face trials, we need to remember that Jesus has already faced trials himself. He was tempted in the wilderness. He suffered and died on the cross. He knows what it is like to go through trials. And therefore, he will not abandon us whenever we face those trials. So, How do we cope with whatever comes our way? How do we cope with an illness? Steadfastness. Trusting in God and remaining in him. How do we cope with a pandemic that has the world in chaos? Steadfastness. Perseverance. Loyalty. Devotion. That's how we cope and we trust. So let's bow before God in prayer. Lord God Almighty, grant us steadfastness today, perseverance. Lord, we recognise that when we ask for that, we're inviting this testing process. And we're inviting you to remove the impurities from our lives. And we realise that that may not be pleasant. But Lord, that's what we need. So we come to you today, Lord. And asking that you would plant our feet on a firm rock where we can stand. And trust in you. And realise that you are steadfast and that we cannot be shaken when we trust in you. Amen. Welcome to Beside the Burn for Wednesday the 21st of April. We're continuing our studies today in the book of James. We're in James chapter 1 and today we're going to be looking at verses 5 to 8. And we're asking this overall question in this first section. How do you cope with trials? We looked yesterday at coping with trials through considering them pure joy. Because God is bringing about perseverance or steadfastness in our lives. So that we will not be buffeted about 
but that we'll be able to stand firm through the trials and not give in. And as we move on to verses 5 to 8, we're going to see this whole idea of being steadfast again, of not being tossed by the wind and the waves, and not being double-minded and unstable, as we we read in verse 8, but being able to cope with what comes our way. There's a little bit of danger, as I, I said on Sunday, that whenever we move on to these verses, we think we're into a different subject. We all of a sudden think that James has just moved to wisdom now. He's dealt with trials and pure joy, and now he's on to wisdom. But we've got to realise that these verses link very, very closely to the first four verses. And now that we're talking about wisdom, it is wisdom in the context of the trials that we face. So if we're to have steadfastness, if we're to persevere, if we are to consider our trials pure joy, we need wisdom. It's not natural to consider uh, trials pure joy. So we need the wisdom of God. And it's quite simply here put to us by James. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God. Simple as that. It's it's quite simple. You, You don't have wisdom? Well, go and ask God about it. Because God is the place where you get wisdom. Now, how many people are looking other places for wisdom? How many people are trying to find wisdom in the things of the world? But that's not what James is trying to get us to do. He says, you go, you ask God for wisdom. Guess what? God is a generous God, gives generously to everyone. He doesn't find fault. He doesn't say to you, oh, you're thick. Why? Why are you not wise? Why Why don't you have the wisdom that you want? You ask for wisdom and God gives it to you. It will be given to him. So we have this great starting position here that if you want to cope with trials, you need wisdom. If you don't have wisdom, you ask God and he gives it to you. And God doesn't belittle us. He doesn't hesitate. He just freely gives it and gives us everything that we need. And what we saw on Sunday was that this wisdom is is very special because the wisdom that we need is actually Jesus. Wisdom is not just a a thing, but it's a person. And I, I know I've said that on Sunday and I'm repeating myself here again today. And and the aim of these is not just to go over the same things as we're looking at on Sundays. Um, Yes, we go through the same verses and we get some of the same themes again, but I'm trying to add in extra things that we didn't have time for on Sunday. But this is important. Jesus is wisdom. And we need Jesus. We need to ask for Jesus. Wisdom is a person. And we won't find wisdom in the things of the world. And therefore, we've got a responsibility to show other people the wisdom that we have, to tell others about Jesus. We'll find meaning for life in Jesus. At work, 
We need wisdom. We, we need Jesus. And therefore, we need to repent of our foolishness and recognise that Jesus is the only one who can make us wise. We need to repent of thinking of ourselves as wise. Quite often we'll think, oh, I've got all the right answers. I've got this worked out. I'm so much better at understanding this than so-and-so. We need to repent of that and realise that the gospel of Jesus Christ is for those who are foolish. The wise overcomplicate things. The wise try to find escape routes out of belief. But we need Jesus to be our wisdom. We need Jesus to be the one who will help us. And whenever we ask God for Jesus, we always receive him. We get what we ask for. Then we move on to verse 6. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt. Because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. And in a few moments in verse 8, we're going to find out about the double-minded man who's unstable. But here we see someone who's unstable, blown and tossed by the wind. This is not a steadfast person. This is not someone who is persevering. This is someone who is doubting. Now, it's quite difficult to get to this position where you don't doubt because doubting it, well, it's not a bad thing at times because we need to ask questions. But I think what's happening here is that the person... James was warning us that we shouldn't just ask for Jesus and then hedge our bets and and look to something else as well. We need to be wholehearted, undivided, going for Jesus here and asking for him. It's not that we're saying to God, well, look, give me Jesus and I'll have him, but I'll also put some trust in the savings that I have, or I'll put some trust in the position that I've got in society and and those things will see me through, or I'll put some trust in my family name and a bit of Jesus as well. No, whenever that happens and we've got Jesus and something else, then we're tossed and blown about by the wind. We need to make sure that we are asking for Jesus and asking for him alone. If we're doubting, if we're hedging our bets, if we're going for two things at the same time, James tells us in verse 7, that man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. Why should we? Because we're only asking for Jesus as a bit of an insurance policy. We're not saying, Jesus, you are everything to me. Jesus, I recognise that I can't do anything in this world without you, so therefore I am giving you everything. And sometimes there can still be a bit of doubt that creeps in there. There can be an element of doubt where we say to, 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 to Jesus, look, Jesus, I need you. 
I recognize that you are the answer. I don't know how that works. I'm still doubting it a bit, but I want to find you and I want to trust you. And so therefore I'm giving everything to you to make sure that we receive what we ask of God. And then in verse 8, we're told he's a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. The trials, the difficulties, the suffering gets rid of this unstableness and replaces it with steadfastness and perseverance. So we need to make sure that we are not divided between faith and the world but that we are putting our faith in Jesus Christ. We need to trust God and not trust the world. We need to trust that God knows what is best for us and he will provide the steadfastness. He will provide the perseverance. And here's in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 30, the idea that Jesus Christ is the wisdom that we need. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom. There's that idea that Jesus is wisdom who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness and redemption. What do we need to cope with trials? We need Jesus. And we come to God and we ask for Jesus wholeheartedly. Not Jesus and something else, but Jesus and Jesus alone. And if we come to him and accept him as our wisdom, then we will be able to cope with whatever trials come our way. We'll be able to stand fast in the knowledge that he is with us and that he will not forsake us. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus Christ. We thank you that Jesus Christ has become our wisdom and therefore we trust you. Lord, we ask for Jesus today and we ask for more of Jesus in our lives and we thank you that you have promised to give generously, that you will not accuse us or find fault with us, but you will simply give us Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, we thank you and praise you for that today. And we ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Also, don't forget that the songs that are below that are based on this passage, there's a a lovely, jolly little song uh, which uh, takes the words of these verses and and puts them to music and will help you uh, remember what we've been looking at today. So so do listen to that uh, and do follow that. Welcome to Beside the Burn for Thursday the 22nd of April. We're moving through chapter 1 of James this week and today we come to verses 9 to 11. And the overall theme that we're looking at now is wealth. And this is another test. This is another uh, trial, as it were, that we're going through here to get rid of the impurities in our lives. And James is asking us to consider those who are wealthy and those who are poor and what our attitude is towards them. And 
He's asking us these questions so that he can expose in us the impurities that exist that would cause us to favour the wrong person. The natural human reaction is to favour the person with wealth. Why is that? Well, possibly we are looking for something back in return. So we favour the wealthy person because we think that they can repay us and they can help us. Maybe we consider ourselves to be wealthy and so therefore we associate with the wealthy because we think we're similar or we aspire to be wealthy and therefore we associate with the wealthy person in the hope that we will be like them. We don't associate with the poor because that would be an admission of defeat as it were. So here is the test, here's the trial, here's God trying to take away the impurities today and let's look at these verses and see what we can learn from them. So verse 9, the brother in humble circumstances ought to take pride in his high position. Now notice here that James is talking about a brother and therefore it's a fellow believer that we're talking about, fellow believers were in humble circumstances. They were poor because many of them had had to give up their previous lives because of Jesus Christ and therefore they had left their families, they had left their possessions and they were starting out anew. Some of them weren't able to work because of their faith and therefore they were in humble circumstances. They had little value, they had little significance in life But James is turning that on its head and he's saying they are in a high position. So they ought to take pride in that. They ought to consider their humble circumstances pure joy, if you want to go back to the beginning of the passage. This is good for them, even though the world might consider trials to be bad, even though the world may consider being poor and humble as being bad, James is telling us, rejoice, be glad in this. Verse 10 then, but, and here's the the opposite that we're coming to, the one who is rich should take pride in his low position. If you're rich in the kingdom, that doesn't give you a better position, that doesn't give you a, a seat in a more prominent position. In fact, almost the opposite is true. If you are rich, you're going to find it difficult in the kingdom. Now, James here, like many other writers in the New Testament, is not saying that having possessions and having wealth is bad, but he is making a very clear warning that if you've got wealth and riches, it will be difficult to enter the kingdom. Because you really should realise that you are not as important as you think you are and you're really in a very low position. So here James is saying, consider it pure joy to be humble, to be humiliated. He's telling us that we're all in this together as it were. And money doesn't always help. 
Now, we've been told during the pandemic that we're all in this together, but as we look around, we realise that there are many times whenever we're not in this together. There are those who have possessions and wealth, and that makes this whole thing a lot easier. Those who are poor are finding it difficult. This past week, we've been um, praying for the royal family at the loss of Prince Philip. And here they have been experiencing that great leveller of death and mourning. Because no amount of wealth and no amount of possessions and privilege and whatever can, can take away the pain of death. And they are very much like us in that they are suffering a loss and, and mourning at this time. And here James is saying, be careful about riches because riches are not permanent. They're really quite temporary. And the rich person is very like their wealth because they will be temporary as well. We're told here he will pass away like a wild flower. A wild flower is here one day and gone the next. Nobody cares for it. Nobody tends it. Verse 11, the sun rises with scorching heat and weathers the plant. Its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich man will fade away even while he goes about his business. Wealth doesn't give you stability. Wealth doesn't make you secure or allow you to persevere. So therefore, do not put your trust in it. I know that's easy to say. And we live in a material world where everything is built around wealth and putting our trust in it. But it's not secure. It's unstable again. It withers. Blossoms fall, beauty is destroyed. We need true steadfastness and it doesn't come from wealth. It comes from trials. And here we have the test once again. Are you going to rejoice in wealth or are you going to rejoice in trials? It's easy to rejoice in wealth. It is so difficult to rejoice in trials. And yet that is what God is calling us to do. As they say, the person who dies with the most toys still dies. And we need to be ready for death. And we need to invite Jesus Christ to come into our lives and transform our lives. And here again, we see the gospel, even though it's not mentioned, even though the cross and the bloodshed are missing, here is the gospel that we need to be ready. Wealth means nothing in salvation. Salvation means much, much more than wealth. So if you are not a Christian today, don't put your security in things. 
get some wisdom. Ask God for Jesus and he will freely give you. Think of how Jesus came to this earth in lowly, humble circumstances, not in a palace, not with great wealth, but humble and lowly. We might not consider ourselves to be wealthy, but in the bigger scheme of things, we are very wealthy. So all that we do shouldn't be to gain things but should be to gain steadfastness. And that is what we need more than anything else. So we pray that God will give it to us. So let's bow before him again. Lord, we confess before you that often we put our trust in things We make our plans based on wealth. Help us today, Lord, to consider the high position of the brother in humble circumstances. Help us, Lord, to be humble, to recognize our own unworthiness and to realize that you are worthy, that you are the one who can be trusted, that you are the one who has all the riches of this world under your command. And therefore, Lord, we trust in you for salvation, that priceless gift that is freely given and cannot be earned. And we ask, Lord, that you would grant us the security, the steadfastness, the perseverance that we need today. Amen. Welcome to Beside the Burn for Friday the 23rd of April 2021. We're reaching the end of the week. We've already looked at the first 11 verses of James chapter 1, both on Sunday and then throughout the week. And so to finish off today, I want us to look at another aspect of James from these opening few verses. And that is the similarity that we find in the book of James to the Sermon on the Mount. I suppose it shouldn't really come as any big surprise because we are dealing with a book that has been written by James, the half-brother of Jesus. And therefore, he knew Jesus well. He would have known of Jesus' teaching. He may well even have been there when Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount. And therefore, James is taking some of those ideas and those themes from the sermon And he is putting them into his letter. And whether intentionally doing it or simply because he has heard these teachings and he knows them, he's including them in the letter that he has in this book. So we'll maybe not take as long today as we have over some of the other days, but we'll certainly look at these themes together. 
I want to take you back to the beginning, to uh, verse 2, whenever we were thinking that key verse about trials. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. And if you think of the Sermon on the Mount that we find in Matthew chapter 5, it begins with the Beatitudes. And I read these Beatitudes on Sunday morning as an introduction to our service. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. Now Jesus isn't saying, consider it pure joy whenever you are persecuted. But he is saying that when you are persecuted, you are blessed. Again, this persecution is the testing, the removal of impurities in the Christian life. And therefore, it is a blessing that it would be happening, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Again, in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad. Here's that idea of considerate, pure joy. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So again, Jesus is saying that how we can rejoice in difficult times. And James has taken that and applied it to the trials and the testing and the suffering that we go through. Then verse 4, Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And again, Jesus has these same themes again uh, in the Sermon on the Mount. And if you greet only your brother what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, this is a, a an impossible request, as it were. Why is Jesus telling us to be perfect when he knows full well that we can't be perfect? Why is James telling us to be mature and complete, not lacking anything, when he knows that that cannot be the case? Well, the whole point of both these statements is to turn us towards Jesus. Because Jesus is the only one who is perfect. And therefore, if we want to be perfect, we can't do that. But we know someone who can. We know someone who is perfect. And therefore, we are to turn to Jesus and trust in Jesus and his perfection. We're to ask him to come and take away our imperfections and replace them, not with a perfect life, but to replace them with his life, his righteousness. And then in verse 5 of James, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to him. And we've already covered that idea of wisdom. But here the link to the Sermon on the Mount is the asking and the God supplying. Matthew 7 verses 7 to 12. Ask. And it will be given to you. You can see the similarities in the theme here. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. 
For everyone who asks, receives. God gives generously without finding fault. You can see the similarities here. He who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone, or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Again, you can see the similarities here. We're to ask God for wisdom and he supplies the wisdom. He does not let us down. We're to ask and seek and find and knock and all these things will be given to us. God loves us to come and ask him so that he can supply us with all that we need. And so that is what we do. Each week we'll be looking again at the Sermon on the Mount. We'll be looking at how these verses link in and how these themes are similar. But each stage, the idea is that we face a trial. How do we cope with trials? By realising what God is doing. He's taking away the impurities. And so we're to consider them pure joy. So let's pray together. Lord God Almighty, we worship you today and we thank you, Lord, for your word. And we thank you that this word has not come about by accident, but that you have crafted it in such a way that we can understand, that we can make an attempt at understanding these great unfathomable truths that you have made. And Lord, we pray that we might experience all that you have for us and that we might find you in the midst of all of this and trust you and find salvation in you. So Lord, be with us now, we pray. Be with us and bless us with all that we have heard this week. And may we find our hope in you, in Jesus' name. Amen.